Oh. Oh. So this somber. Is, Welcome. This is very quiet. I thought I would feel something. Oh, you don't feel anything. Uncle Touchy? <laughs> Back again? For thirds? Eleventies? Mellow greetings, constant listeners. And welcome back to this riotous edition of the Disinformed Podcast. I am Shane. I am Jonathan. And I'm Michael. And we're so happy you here. Not gonna lie, I expected happier music for a topicless or a formless episode. Can I also tell you, this is called Promising Relationship. What is... What are you promising in the relationship? AIDS, apparently, I would think, because this is not happy at all. This is like terrible tween book romance music. Unless Michael flew over the wrong download and. No, it says. uh, No, you never know. You see. Relationship right there, right next to his. uh, Kevin MacLeod. Hey, uh, thank you. Um. God, both of you people. <laughs> Thank you for the free music, but also you look like a fucking nerd, my dude. Hey, listen, he is really striving with that hair club haircut. He's got Speaking that. Speaking of uh, Uncle Touchy, I think we found a picture. I was gonna say that is the mugshot that we were passing around at the station. And so, uh, <sighs> saddle up, bitches. I got this. Did you just queef on the microphone? <laughs> God. <laughs> Alright, put your put your pussy posse back in your pants. <laughs> just because this beer can is pink doesn't you, mean you should judge it. Can you All take right. a posse out of your pants? Not know. with that attitude. <laughs> well, well, kids, uh, as you can tell, we are on point today. Mm. Yeah. Uh happy belated birthday. One day mm. past. Shame. Oh yes. Thank you. I'm not dead yet. That's <laughs> you said that like you're super disappointed. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm counting like, the seconds. Uh, you're like Asher, our drummer. Anytime you leave, and you're like, like, all right, we'll see you next week. Well, not if everything goes according to plan. <laughs> it's more much, dude. The chagrin of any number of people who are eagerly counting the days to piss on my grave. Uh, the people that are just checking your social media feed just to see when bad things happen. Yep. Yeah. Is it, who do like a Google search? They have Google alerts for my name. They're just waiting. But he's gonna die any day. They now, have the alerts set up for like bad life events that happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's like your grandpa passes away, and they like that, but they wouldn't like you know. I got a promotion. Mm-hmm. It's like the game Gloom. They're just waiting until I get as miserable as humanly possible, and then they're going to end me. That's Something where right. So, uh, John, what are we talking about today? Well, this is the first fuck it episode, right? Who is who? Who is getting fucked? Me by okay. two dudes. Um, Wouldn't be the first well, time. Shan't we, be the last. <laughs> we went on a group outing and went and saw Doctor Sleep. A group outing? What's funny about that? I didn't. What, uh, what I did I think fuck that up? was uh, English yeah, major. Something. No, it just <laughs> something that sounds like a bad hashtag movement again. What group outing? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a photograph that shouldn't have been released to the public. That's what a group outing is. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. Well, through the arc, we've seen Michael become a Stephen King fan, and you mm. and I, you 
Shane, obviously been a huge Stephen King fan for way longer. Is you that kind a of comment on my weight again? Uh, whatever you want it to be. Um, and then, yeah, you kind of got me more into Stephen King over the past years as well. But we all got to read Dr. Sleep before the movie came out. And we all had the opportunity to see it together. And then once the movie was over, we were standing in the parking lot like a bunch of fucking nerds. And how long were we out there? It felt, it was probably a solid 10, minutes. 10, uh, 10 to know, 20 to 2 total. hours. Yeah. Um, and during that entire time, I just kept thinking, wow, the people passing us just won't stop staring. We should just talk about it in a private room. Yeah, it's a reasonable <laughs> thing to do. Um, that and my continued pursuit to do no research. I mean, a fair deuce to you, because we've managed it now on I know, multiple occasions. I'm almost setting a precedent. Almost. But, Mostly. that being said, uh, I thought maybe we could just have a relaxed episode where, I mean, we can still bullshit each other. You can still lie to me like you normally do, but we could just talk about, uh, you know, whatever, whatever tickles your fancy, but mainly Dr. Sleep. Maybe some reactions to it, how we felt about it, comparisons to novel and to the film The Shining, as far as true sequels are concerned. Um, yeah, Kubrick versus King, uh, Shane versus uh, Tom McFarlane. That's not his name. Uh, who who just did the Joker movie? Joaquin Phoenix. He didn't direct it. <laughs> and there are the rails. Uh, I seem that we've gone off it. Uh, it would appear so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, God, who the fuck? Well, let me start by yeah, um, getting us on point and saying, John, you are a dedicated researcher and a brilliant partner for podcasting. <laughs> I would like to accept the award. Um, do I have time to talk about it? I'm waiting for Michael to call bullshit. I'm just waiting. <laughs> I can't. I have to breathe. <laughs> Someone just, scream uh, posse, please. Posse. There we go. Okay. Uh, so what would you like to start with, though? What's wrong with the Joker? Why am I upset at the, why am I upset at the Joker? Oh, no, you just told me that as part of your birthday yesterday, you went and saw the Joker. I did, I did. Uh, it was, uh, very entertaining. I enjoyed it immensely, as a matter of stern facts. So. Okay. So, because what, I don't know movies, what, what is the Joker? This is a Joaquin Phoenix vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Joaquin. Essentially what, uh, some neckbeards are calling the taxi driver of our generation. Mm. It's fairly apt. They don't often, have a lot of films that I've encountered where you just document someone's descent into madness. Right. And I think the cat's kind of out of the bag because in a film called Joker, you kind of expect that this person is going to wind up as a homicidal maniac. And they give you a credible or plausible enough backstory of systematic abuse for somebody to sort of make a precedent set that, yeah, I can understand why this people, you know, or why this person might have gone a little, you know, far afield of sanity. I think the thing that is getting people riled up about it is that they also include like the social justice movements that follow Correct. and the things that it inspires. And so there are a lot of very interesting sort of amoral questions involved. Yeah, we touched on it before, too, I'm sure, where if you're identifying with the villain, like by the mm -hmm. end of the movie, if you're like, well, I'm that type of person, it's like you saying that you are a Rick from Rick and Morty or, mm. uh, you know, any anti-hero or, you know gray area characters like that's not something that you're really wanting to, to brag about you can say that you feel like an outsider and that's fine but saying that you 
handle the problems like that person, you're basically just outing yourself as, you know, a little problematic. Um, trying to think about... Nope, nope, it's gone. Well, I had questions for you, but I, uh, I'm, I'm missing them. The fun you, thing you about like, those character <clears throat> studies is, is I think that it endorses something that we've talked about, particularly in the previous episodes. Um, I just listened back to the Simmons episode. And a little empathy goes a long way. And I think that one of the things they try to depict, particularly with Taxi Driver and now what people are drawing parallels for the Joker, is understand circumstances. And, you know, the nature versus nurture argument of people just wake up bad one day and it's, you know, the falling down principle, the Michael Douglas vehicle from back in the day, is basically a businessman who goes crazy and then begins to carry out his own vigilante justice. Uh, You know, there's a lot of similarly themed kind of films that just touch on the fact that all it really the i think the tagline for that film is all it takes is one bad day oh the falling down or yes for falling down okay and it just kind of the joke but for looking at joker they're going listen these things do not operate irrespective of one another you don't exist in a bubble so the snow globe mentality just well all good things will come to you is like the people that he kills initially that finally start to kind of push the descent and Michael, if you intend to see this oh, film, I guess maybe then spoiler we'll, we'll tick spoilers for everybody. This will be for we'll enough a, along. Uh, that, yeah, you know, I was going to say we'll put spoiler alerts for both or anything that we kind of. Yeah, but uh, and I won't get to the ending of the film, but just in in point of saying he is on a train and witnesses a young lady being accosted by three businessmen who are obviously intoxicated and obviously are trying to impose and intimidate her and he has a condition which means that he laughs when he feels uncomfortable or he doesn't know how to emotionally cope basically yes it's just laughter is basically what happens it's a mental functionality that's wrong so he starts to chuckle at the fact that, you know, he's nervous from seeing this happen and they come over and confront him. Uh, he just so happens to have a weapon with him, which the circumstances of the film kind of depict why he has it. And he winds up shooting them and he's a little detached from reality at this point, And he is suffering from mental illness. And that is documented throughout the course of the film. And it kind of becomes an indictment of the system of saying that the, individual that he sees for his therapy and to get his prescriptions filled, their um, funding is cut. So he's no longer able to get his medication and his circumstances start to kind of, you know, build against him. So it's an interesting indictment of the system more than it is commenting just on, here's someone with a mental illness who goes completely off the rails. So I feel like as a film, if you're going to depict that character and give a backstory, it was really well done and it wasn't, so didactic it wasn't too terribly heavy-handed they just gave you the circumstances and let you ferret out your own conclusions and i i wonder how our opinions uh would have changed if we would have swapped places whereas Mm -hmm. you've seen it now that it's been out for almost a month and i i saw it on opening night or the thursday Mm -hmm. thursday evening showing and something that was really polarizing about joker coming out was all of the ads beforehand and all the social media hubbub of, you know, thinking that an Aurora situation with, like, Dark Knight was going to happen again, mm-hmm. or Dark Knight Rises. Uh, it was a huge thing that was talked about nonstop. People being like, well, you know, they're they're amping up security in the theaters for this to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. Signage was posted. 
uh, you know, in like for certain showings. Uh, fuck, when I went to to Alamo to see it, they actually had police officers there, and I've never ever seen them since or before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so walking in, I was seeing it by myself. Also, like you just kind of sit down, and you're like, okay, well, is this gonna be a bad time? Not the movie, but just the experience, you know, you know what I mean? Um, where I feel like maybe I was a little distracted from it. I enjoyed it, by the way. I just, um, uh, I don't know. I get a little just rubbed, rubbed raw by people, um, uh, identifying with the, the wrong parts right. of it. Um, <clears throat> And using that as a crutch for a personality. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a sign of the times, one, because we have so much social unrest with this state of, like, the political scene in the country. The gun violence is unprecedented. I mean, month by month, there are shootings. There was one last week. So, I mean, not making any social commentary here, but just saying it's difficult not to extrapolate based on what they're talking about. Yeah. And then you add into that, Kevin Smith famously had a whole sort of discussion on one of his DVDs where someone called him out for making Chasing Amy and saying the whole film glorifies the idea that all a lesbian needs is one good deep dicking and then she's back in the man. And he's kind of, you know, confronted with this and he goes, listen, all I can do is make this film and I put those words into like the mouth of our idiot character trying to deflate the argument. I wanted to get ahead of that. But he says, if I go any further than that, the film becomes condescending and it is didactic. And I'm basically telling you how to think and how to feel. And he said, that's not what art does. It should evoke and try to educate, but you draw from it what you want to. And interpretation is really the thing. And I feel like Joker really gives you an opportunity to look at it. And it's like, yes, privilege versus the underprivileged and the repressed versus those who are, allowed to set precedent and enforce it and the conflict of interest in inherent to that. Yeah. Like it, it raises a lot of very interesting moralistic questions. So it was, it's a great film just because of that. It gets you talking. We're actually having conversations about it, which we're doing it right now, yeah. you know, yeah. from just a little grain of a mention of, mm-hmm. of you seeing it, um, which thank you. Mm-hmm. That was exactly what I, I yeah, the sure. kind of conversation I want. That's probably the uh, deepest. There's no dick jokes in there. For, for five, six minutes. Well, he is wearing, like, you know, like, tidy whities at one point and gallivanting around. Oh, which... yeah. Um, with that being said, pedaling back, the reason I brought Joker up is because you and I talked earlier about what you did for your birthday. Mm. And that was one thing that you did. And the other thing that you mentioned is that you got 300 pages into my favorite Dark Tower novel. Mm-hmm. Almost my favorite Stephen King novel, but it's hard to pick a favorite. Uh, and that would be the second book in Dark Tower called Drawing of the Three, which Michael is also reading right now. Oh, I was going to say, I, I, I'm just halfway through. I just no, got no, Lady no. of the Shadows. I am exactly at the same spot you are. Oh. Because uh, I just... But again, I read Gunslinger in a day... When you so. originally told me about Gunslinger, you used a very particular set of words. Mm. Mm. Um, and I believe that you said that it was, I, as far as you enjoying it and describing why you're saying that it's almost poetic. The entire yes. novel is so poignant mm. and so deliberate. Like every word belongs where it is. 
And it's also the shortest. It's, yes. it's almost a novella, mm-hmm. is how short that book is. It was originally written and published in magazines, so it was broken up into parts and then mm-hmm. released piecemeal. So oh. you have a very interesting sort of stylized, it was almost hyper-lyrical, uh, but it's so eloquent uh, when you, you know, describe the desert as the apotheosis of all deserts in the introductory paragraph. But it, yeah, it is sort of, a bit more antiquated than all the others, and yeah. it doesn't have as much of his voice as you would commonly expect. Yeah, that comes so. in Drawing of the Three, mm-hmm. like where you're like, oh, this is Stephen King, because he does have a very, very distinct voice, even when he's trying not to. Right. Like, his characters sound like his characters, even when they're not behaving like one of them. Yeah. So, it, it Gunslinger <laughs> feels very much like its own entity, and then you start bleeding in other things. But I really enjoyed going back in the Gunslinger and seeing uh, all of the characters that start to kind of rear their heads and the foretelling of things. Like, the, the stuff that you don't know going in, like the Susan Delgado relationship and how that bleeds in. And once you finally Which start getting those. Through. Right. Yeah. So, it makes reading the first book a lot more uh substantive and it gives you more context because you're like oh i know who elaine is now and cuthbert has a much more poignant sort of passing when you talk it's about like that ex- he dropped the horn you're like oh okay it's I, like I the exact opposite of the harry potter series hmm. where it's such a slog to get through the first couple of books now of harry potter because they literally they hardly set up anything of right. like substance and it's just world yeah. building and i think right now because I'm, I'm doing a reread on Goblet of Fire is where, like, you're like, oh, okay. That's when it starts picking up. Yeah. But, yeah, that's cool. I I didn't actually read the Harry Potter books until uh, I got to the uh, Order of the Phoenix. And that that was – all the other movies had been released, and they hadn't released Order of the Phoenix. So I was like, well, I'll just start from here and read the books forward and see how everything ends. So I got to read the last book when it came out, like Day Of. But I have not read the first three or four books at this point. I mean, if you got it, you got it. You know. Um, But to the main main show, main, Mm. main attraction – well, uh, before we do that, uh-oh. if we're, I, I mean, we do have a sponsor this week. Oh, I don't know why we have a sponsor, <clears throat> considering we have absolutely nothing here of substance we're getting into. I kid, uh, but he's so serious. This week, <laughs> we are sponsored. Are you ready, kids? Mm-hmm. And appropriate, since we were talking about Doctor Sleep and our take on New Age vampires that we will be getting into, oh. we are sponsored by Blood Bag. Are you an aficionado of exsanguination? Do you love the nightlife? Do you love to boogie? Wink here. I don't think I was supposed to read that. More to the point, pun intended. Are you tired of honing your incisors to a razor-sharp edge to help you more readily sustain your necrotic flesh? If your long-dead body is no longer producing hemoglobin, and what's a cursed corpse to do? Corral a gaggle of indigent individuals and drain them dry? Who can afford to kidnap a random cur in the information age? Well, that's why there's Blood Bag. We take all the muss and fuss out of procuring blood in the street like a common fiend. If you don't ask questions, we won't have to lie to you. Send us your ill-gotten gains and we'll keep you swimming in claret until Frankenstein's monster hits the scrap heap. Go to bloodbag.org and tell us which derelict castle or poorly secured mausoleum to deliver your delights to. For disinformed listeners, enter the offer code IDIOT at checkout and you'll receive Typo Negative's Greatest Hits CD for free. (laughs) (laughs) Who can pass that up? 
That's bloodbag.org. We'll keep you coming back. Cross our horse. Damn it. <laughs> we'll keep you coming back, cross our hearts, and hope they die. So I, that's uh, Bloodbag, and I, you know, it's <laughs> poignant and rather odd that they're sponsoring us, but, you know, I'm you excited. Sh- I usually pride myself on uh, not laughing during your ads, yes. but that was uh, <laughs> in a, a certain, certain way today. Yes. Hey, guys, did you know that if you stacked up all of Stephen King's books, they'd be taller than the man himself? No doubt. I mean, he has published in excess of like 80 things at this point, I think. It's, it's a significant quantity of material. And there are not small tomes either. I mean, Maybe. you vary between 500 to 1200 pages in the, in the best of them. So you got to love it. I had some other facts pulled up for you guys, but oh. it's out and having some problems getting. The other article to go back to where it was. He's I got must too many have. Tabs. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tab what failure. was your first? Let's we can go around real quick. Your first Stephen King novel. Ooh. So, it when I was a child, they released the It miniseries on USA Network the two days before my birthday on my ninth birthday. Oh, jeez. And I was, of course. When you're a kid, you're just rife for trauma. Like you're, you're prepared for it. You're, I'm just like, right. oh yeah, I, I can watch this. I'll be fine. It won't scare the bejesus out of me. Tim Curry scared the ever loving shit out of me. Well, that's fucking uh, fair. And yeah. so I didn't want to watch it. It gave me horrendous nightmares. And yeah. I think a couple of months later, I was reading the book. Cool. So as a kid, I got into it. I think it was my attempt to sort of like, empowerment disempowerment i thought if i read the book i would be less scared of it and that was the first time i i read a stephen king i had no i mean the metaphysical stuff at the end of the book i was not prepared for yeah Yeah. so it didn't really come around and then i didn't read anything for quite some time because i was in my teens and who the hell cares at that point uh and i wound up in my first semester break when i was in college i read the stand in two days which, and considering that both of you have just years. run, depending on which version, your minimum at seven fifty and maximum of goddamn twelve. I think I read the original one, so it so would have been probably like seven eighty two or seven ninety or something. By this, still, but it, that's a substantial amount. Yeah, it didn't go. Uh, it shouldn't have gone as quickly as it did, but no, I was slog, like but so slog. prepared for it that I voraciously tore through it. So those were the ones, and then subsequently, I just read everything I can get my hands on at this point. So Which I'm is a basically huge fan. the stage I'm in now, and I right. think Michael as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Michael, that was, what was my your foray. first because you just tackled your first recently at our behest, from Stephen well, King. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I read through The Stand. That was the first Stephen uh-huh, King? Yep, oh, yep, yep. cool. And then, there's a theme. Yeah, and then The Shining, and then Doctor Sleep, and then It, and then The Gunslinger, and I'm going through Drawing of the Three. Cool. I did Under the Dome was my first, ah. which is another really, really lengthy one. And kind of similar as far as like interpolitical stuff as The Stand, where they're not not creating different societies, but as far as what happens when you're cut off. You know, hmm. well, you know, it's funny. I actually, I can course correct my own story. I read The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon in high school. Loves that one. I haven't read that book. It's an interesting book. Uh, <laughs> it's, but it's funny. I don't ever associate that as being the thing that I love about King, but I read it because it was a shorter book. But I really like the book. It's fun. Cool. So it is also the introduction where the, uh, the Wendigo is introduced as well. So that's fun. 
you have Pet Cemetery, of course, where the Wendigo is yeah. there, but then also they bring it back. There's debate as to whether or not the Wendigo is really present through that, but it is a, a character in The Girl Who Left Tom Gordon. So How interesting. Yeah. So you're saying about Dr. Sleep, on record. On record, Dr. Sleep is um, my... It, I prefer it to The Shining, firstly. Uh, I feel like Same. character development, yeah. plot, and everything is a much superior book to me. But also, I feel like it is in my top five King books all time. Like, it it hit me in the feels really Absolutely. hard, particularly the end of the book. So, I'm precious about the book. Saying that, I really enjoyed how the movie handled itself. Yeah. Granted, there are little things I would quibble with and stuff I would prefer, but that's <clears> a tweak I would not really say anything negative about it. I enjoyed it immensely, loved every single second of it. So well, also as far as movies are concerned for the most part, I just I just want to be entertained. Yeah. You yeah. know, I can enjoy them independently. Also going forward for the eighteenth time, there's just gonna be so many spoilers. Mm. So Brace for impact kids. Yeah, if you haven't read the warning, if you haven't heard it earlier, fuck it. Spoilers. Yeah. Um and any true, not to gatekeep Stephen King fans, but I would say any true fans of Stephen King would prefer the novel for The Shining mm. over the Kubrick movie. And again, with that same lens of you can enjoy them independently, and I do, and I think Shane does as well. Oh, I, I love The Shining. It's um, one of my favorite films. Yeah, it's fantastic on its own right, but as far as comparing to the source material, it's basically just the concept and that's basically all it really takes. Mm. Uh, there's people that have huge problems with The Shining, like Kubrick fans coming in. Um, huge problems like, oh, you mean hedge animals that just come to life? How fucking lame is that? It's like, mm. well, that's not really the whole picture here. Right. When yeah. I think of the original, uh, like the novel, I think of the wasp's nest. Mm-hmm. nest. Because it's just, it's an overarching thing in the back of your head throughout the entire book. Because it's just symbolic. Symbolic. Symbolism. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I'm going to get on a soapbox for five seconds. This is why I wanted to go off topic for an episode. The closest correlation I have for Kubrick and The Shining and King and the Source Material is Philip K. Dick, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Blade. versus Blade Runner. <clears throat> and Blade Runner, if you shot Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, it would not translate well to film. I feel the same way about The Shining, which is also why the miniseries is tough for me. I was going to say, Because yeah. the book gives you internal thoughts of characters. There's a lot of history leaven through there. And the idea is it's documenting the fact of here is Jack Torrance, someone who's actually trying to better himself, making strides towards doing so. And right. ultimately, his character starts to unravel when faced with supernatural you know, circumstances. Which is a very relatable human thing. Right. Like how you think you would react. Like, I get shiver and shaky when a light's on in my house that I don't remember turning on. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know? So put this normal recovering addict into a haunted hotel and see what the fuck happens. Yeah, and it... It speaks to his own feelings of inadequacy. His inferiority complex gets really pushed because Danny's the special child. And he's like, well, I'm special too, asshole. I made this kid. And so the little grievances we all have, anybody who's been in a relationship, you have those little things that irritate you about your partner. Some of them you express, some of them you don't. But then it bubbles up under the surface and the little thing snaps and all of a sudden you're in an argument. 
if you put that into the circumstances, like, I understand why you start having those moments where his rage kicks in in the course of the book. Yeah. The undercurrent of the film, apropos of what we were just talking about with, you know, the taxi driver connection and going into the Joker, they paint Jack Torrance as he's just riding the line. He's on the razor's edge of losing his shit the entire movie. Yes. So there's this undercurrent of rage and enmity that he just rides and he just slips slightly. Whereas in the book, he's a loving father who's had some problems, but it's the drink that's the issue. Yeah. And so he gets pushed over, but it's not a, a lack of character. He's desperately trying. So it's like, I think that's King's argument against the whole run is the bad guy wins in the course of the Overlook Hotel still standing. Everybody basically gets jacked up and it's just, you know, they escape by the skin of their teeth and it's not any redemption for Jack as a character. Yeah. So. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, I was green. Oh, and uh, the segue from there is why I enjoyed Dr. Sleep and can't really say too many negative things about it. Because when we saw it, I left feeling a little, not conflicted, but you know, like you're saying, Shane, you're it's in your top five. It's mm-hmm. beloved to you. So there are going to be things where you're like, I really wish I could have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until the second time that I sat down with it that I really just accepted it fully because it was a really tough job of the director and and writer or screen screenplay writer to have to do to appease to both fans of the mm-hmm. book as a sequel and then as a sequel to the Kubrick shining uh because at the end of the book as you were saying the overlook hotel is blown up mm-hmm. it doesn't get to the boiler in time there's a lot of great moments in the final moments before the boiler goes off um and then you know the shine or the overlook is existing still in the film universe so there's a lot in the final showdown of doctor sleep that i you're gonna miss like i i really wanted to see roof of the world mm-hmm. you know just the overlook lodge in the little green shed with the vent <laughs> what is that silent sally silent surrey Uh, cool. The thing that I, I, I was talking about recently, um, it with one of my colleagues who also saw Dr. Sleep and is a big fan of the book. I'd mentioned there's, it's kind of like riding with your foot on two trains at the same time and desperately trying to stay in the same place, except they're going in different directions. Yeah. And the Kubrick film and then the book are really dramatically different. So, in order to catch people who have just seen the Kubrick film, which, let's face it, constant readers, there's a lot more people who have watched a movie than have read that book. So Absolutely. you're automatic. And also, it's one of the most iconic horror films of all time. Yeah. it From a cineast and a you know an absolute genius of a director. So people are going to be very precious about the film. They're going to be precious about the book, the interpretation of the book, and the characters, and then subsequently the follow-up book for Doctor Sleep. So they had to serve a lot of people, and they did it very deftly. The thing that you lose is the fact that the true not are drawn to tragic events as much as they are drawn to individuals with the shine. So they can thrive off of tragedy. So the September 11th thing of they are there in Jersey when the towers go down and they're watching and kind of sucking up this mass sorrow in the same way they suck steam buys you the fact that they then are drawn to the roof of the world and the remnants of the overlook because the ground is sour. So the, the, whatever power is still there is still there. If you don't explain, explain that they are drawn to that 
you lose the ability to then justify it. But where, also, you know, you've got the film where... The true not, they're pretty thin in the movie. And you yeah. can't, you know, again, there's a lot of character development you have to do in order to explain all of the myriad characters that are the in the true not. The is, is Rose the Hat or Rebecca Ferguson. She is... Mm. <laughs> yeah john's never been happier with a sweater in his life uh, i would say her in that sweater doing yoga mm-hmm. on top of that rv for days yeah i just constant stream you know how there's the youtube uh like here's a fireplace for 12 hours uh, <laughs> just give me a loop of her doing yoga hot yoga was it Bert well it's Bikram? hot by Bikram? the nature of her doing it <laughs> Uh, true, true. The other thing that is funny, <laughs> I joked initially that I, it, she doesn't really do the accent. She doesn't nail the accent, okay? In my first pass of watching and thinking about it, it's like, she doesn't really do a great Irish accent. She gets into it on a couple words, and then it lilts. And then, you know, my brain recalibrated, and I went back, it's like, she's a brilliant actress, because she's been so far removed from being an Irish woman, she's now got hundreds of years separation. Yeah, my God. So now the American accent, it's like, she's basically got a verbal melange at this point. So there are words where the accent pops up, and words when it doesn't. It's like, that's a brilliant choice. And someone who just read the book and understood the character's like, oh, you've lived in the world for a few hundred years now. So obviously... Yeah. You're not going to be just, you know, the same accent you had as the day you left the shores of, uh, you know, the merry old green land of Ireland. So this, she did a phenomenal job. Really appreciate it. And also Ian McGregor is, is Danny. I didn't picture him in my head at all. Like when he, when I saw the casting, it made sense, but mm-hmm. I couldn't really see it. And I, I really, really enjoyed him as, as Danny. Yeah. Yeah. The only negative I will inject into this that he whole never had the thing, high, or he had the high ground. Nope, because <laughs> that was that was great. I enjoyed Which that also he had the high ground. Sh- there's uh, so much. I, the, by the time, sorry to tangent. No, do it. But by the time they get back to the Overlook in the movie, that's where they're like, "All right, you can throw every single callback to Kubrick that mm-hmm. you want." Now is when we can make it the sequel. And fuck me, was everything perfect about that? And the shot for shot recreations. Yep. If you look that up, they actually did do shot for shots. There's yes. nothing really taken from uh, The Shining and spliced back in. It is them recreating that shit. The recasting for Jack. Wendy, I think, was brilliant. Wendy, I think the biggest uh, thing, just fixing her mouth was the biggest thing. I'm going to argue. Oh, fuck. The recasting of Jack, I mm. wanted to see something Nicholson? yes i needed nicholson take him out of retirement I, you yeah, could yeah. very easily coerce him and just say hey listen you get to reprise a brilliant role and we will give you the character sort of rebirth and give a redemption arc to this character because yeah. he remembers who he is at one point and he beats so the they system. did approach him oh i i, I you I, researched I, okay I tell me oh shit i accidentally did oh okay shit. Um, Congrats. So they did. They did approach him on it, and he still declined it. It's going to take more more than that to get him out of retirement. Okay. But he did give them the blessing. Uh, so what the director then uh, uh, battled with is: do we do the anti aging CGI, right, or do we recast? And ultimately, he like Scorsese and a couple other like. Not saying that Mike Flanagan is a is a legacy director, but right. he's inspired. By very very prestigious people, mm-hmm. uh, decided not to go that route because of how disingenuous it would feel to him. Okay. So he'd rather would do the recasting than then go that route. But I agree with you. In fact, the moment that scene because you don't see his face mm-hmm. uh, when he's serving or trying to serve Danny uh, the Jack Daniels at the right. bar, 
I thought it was going to happen. I almost squeezed your hand. It was like this. Would, this it would almost turn the whole tide, and I see exactly where you're coming from, mm-hmm. Shane, because it would it would turn it instantly. Like every single checkbox yeah. would be would be ticked. You know? The only thing I really just don't show his face. Then, if you're going to recast, and if you want to oh, play that's around a smart with choice, because yeah. I mean, here's the other things. I thought they were going to do that at the very beginning when mm-hmm. they were just showing Danny in profile, yep. but then they he finally faced the camera, and which I was is like, a little oh. less. To me, I mean, it, yeah, it takes some of the punch out of it because, again, Nicholson is such an iconic character. The argument almost yeah. exists for Scatman Crothers as well because you can't have someone be Dick Halloran. They really definitely tried, but Scatman Crothers is a different human being. It's like, you know, Yafet Koto in Alien. I, you can't cast anybody else for that role. He is exactly what it should be. In fact, everybody in Alien is perfectly cast, but that's, yeah. I, I will that's digress. A that's a different... But uh, you can't just throw somebody else in there and be like, oh, just have this person try to be Ian Holm and do a character. It's like, no. That's not how that works. I need that person. So if you're not going to have it be Jack Torrance, if it's not Jack Nicholson depicting it, don't show it. Keep it kind of concealed. And if you've already got other three people that are recast and you're running with it, it's like, and again, Shelley Duvall, very specific looking human being yep. with a True. very different sort of way of speaking. And so when the other lady, she did a great job, but I'm the whole time I'm looking at her, I'm Can, like. Canonically, though, in mm-hmm. my head, how I got over that is that in the book, she does get her mouth just bashed in. Oh, yeah. So in my head, I was like, oh, it's it's Wendy after they put her face back together. Well, so it's Wendy <laughs> after they put her face back together, and she looks more attractive than she did initially. Oh, boy. You did about 100 there, grand worth of improvement There are to some her similarities, face. too, uh, by the way, to how Wendy looks and then how Abra's mother looks mm-hmm. as far as, like, yeah, literal appearance, right. black hair, the same bangs, mm-hmm. and the same build type. Which, a big thing that was left out of the movie that, it's not a make or break for me, but mm. it was definitely really sentimental, or two sentimental things were really left out. Um, is, is he is actually Uncle Tim. Actually, yeah. yeah Abra's theory of relativity mm-hmm. <clears throat> and ends up being true. Yeah. Uh, and then also, back to the Jack Torrance, is that at the end of the book, there is that moment of Jack Torrance at the Overlook mm. helping Danny right. um, overcome the big bad, like in his moment of need. And it is what you're saying from that began in the book of the shining. It's his yeah. full redemptive arc. And it took X amount of years to, to, to get to. And the, the way they depicted is the giving like the good night wave to, to Dan. Like that made me go rubbery. I sobbed. Ooh, yeah. I, I like <clears throat> ugly cried at the first time I read that. And I still can't get through it without at least tearing Ooh, up. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's such a beautiful sort of, for anybody who has any like static with their father or just deals with, you know, trying to be a man and still reconcile how you were raised or, or anything else. Or if you don't have a relationship with your father like that, to be able to reconcile and have some feeling like you were loved and appreciated and get that when they talk about it in the film, but you know, I was trying not to be my dad. And I desperately strove, and I still wound up being my dad. And we all kind of have those little moments of connective Absolutely. tissue where you're like, oh, my God, I, I do have those bits of me that are just chemically bound to this fate. So it's an excellent job. I just feel like that would have given Danny a little bit more of that same closure of just, you know, not seeing his dad and having they kept the Kubrick thing of he's just a dick. Even in his yeah. ghostly form, Jack Torrance is lost. He was never a good person, and you never get... And so it's like Danny choosing to, to break the tie 
and move forward, which is fine. But for those of us who want that character redemption, you just don't get it. Yeah, it just kind of kills it. And I guess we're we're at a good time where we can kind of press the accelerator down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So the biggest differences between Dr. Sleep book and movie would be that last quarter Mm -hmm. when they go back to the Overlook. Mm -hmm. But thinking on it again, uh, absolutely loved it because you get moments that you didn't get in the shining that I really miss. Um, so instead of Jack Torrance being possessed by the hotel, which sticks with you the first time you, you right. see it, bashing his own face in Jesus is brutal with a mallet. Mm-hmm. Of all things. Um, Danny getting possessed by the hotel, you know, you can, you can, Take or leave it, but I ended up actually really enjoying that they they reference back to the boiler. They actually mm. get yeah. the overlook out of the picture for good this time. Um, the mind is a blackboard line. Yep. All the dialogue that I really, really liked in The Shining's book, they put into that last section, like the parts that really kind of like stuck uh, with me. Other than the or, queen bitch of hell. Yeah, uh, the queen bitch of hell doesn't come in, but that's that's a whole other thing. Right. Um, yeah, what is it? Oh, uh, Jack Torrance's monologue. In the uh, the Overlook Lounge mm-hmm. of you know a man provides and the there's yeah. so many mouths, uh, so it was just really good moments moments there and I like that they still set up Abra to be uh, a strong super strong character by yeah. the end. They made her a little too superhero-y, um in both the book and the movie. But okay, because <laughs> I was going to say they, they kind of kept true to like what she was in the book. They just didn't flush her very... out, but it it comes to what Shane says or what Shane was saying. That in both both books, there's a lot of inner monologue that you're you're hip to, uh, so it's hard to flesh that out in, in a movie sense to to give you that context. I mean, the only way that I really look at it, and my summation for the whole point is, if you love movies, you're gonna want that medium. If you love to read, you're gonna want to read and the if book. If you love both, God. God help you. Yeah, basically, if you love both, both of them are there for you. You don't have to choose one over the other. You can always go back. It's like, if I want to read, basically, if I get a doctor's sleep itch and I have the time to read the book, I'm going to read the book. But if I just want to revisit that character and have a quick moment, it's like, I have two hours to spare. I can sit down and watch that movie and I'll be done. The difference is is in in a film... You don't have the time and the medium to be able to give you the inner monologue Nuanced. unless you really yeah. are heavy-handed with the good old-fashioned like noir filmmaking of here's a guy talking to himself. But it gives you the fishbone of what the story is. So it takes the highlights, it gives you the major structure, and you get to play around in the world and explain it. This, the Dark Tower attempted to do that with the film, and we can waste days digressing on that. But it tried to give you all the highlights from all of the Dark Tower stories in one beautifully bowed up package, and it didn't work. Because you can't, just sort of irrespective of one another, throw those things together. But if you want to have it fully fleshed out, freestanding, and get all the ideas and the characters and what was intended when the story was concocted, the book is always your best bet. But if you don't, not everybody wants to read a book. Some people, yeah. like my dear sainted mother, would much rather just sit down and fall asleep three quarters of the way through the film and then ask me what happened at the end. <laughs> so, you know, good enough. It's, yeah. So movies are well, great. So I mean, if you like the, movies, watch it. Yeah, I like that. And uh, thanks for going and seeing the movie with me, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, thank great. you. Um, and, le- and thanks for letting us have a 
lazy episode because I'm a lazy person. Well, what's also going to happen, and we're, we've talked about this, is a possibility of uh, we will be doing... We still haven't drilled down on details, but we will be involved in Phoenix Fan Fusion this year for 2020. There will be some live podcasting happening. So one of the things we are possibly going to discuss is a lot of what we're talking about here of kind of the King oh, universe and reconciling the uh, the Shining and, uh, you know, Shining On for Danny Torrens. But what we want to do in advance of that, and if we get some support from you lovely listeners, if you think this would be a good idea, we might just do a watch-along where we watch The Shining and do a little commentary from our own perspective and talk about the things we love or don't love and get you know have a little conversation about the film. So yeah. if you like that, and that would be in advance to kind of tease what we're going to talk about getting into the con. So if that sounds fun and you want to do that, uh, let us know. Give us a little feedback. Do you want to know where you can give us some feedback? Please. Where? If you go to Instagram, we are at Disinformed Podcast. If you like us over on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash disinformed podcast. And if you are one of those tweet folks with the Twitters, <clears throat> uh, we are at Disinformed Pod. Michael, any closing thoughts from you as well? Or We also have a YouTube channel. We do. Which you have to <laughs> search disinformed podcast six, because we don't have yeah. a unique URL. There are but. six different videos of Michael checking how tall he is. The fappening. I don't know why. <laughs> um, my closing thought is just the one random fact Ooh, that I, I forgot to read. Mm. Uh, a lot of bullshit. <laughs> so, right. Go fact yourself. <laughs> um, Stephen King. Has battled drug and alcohol problems. What? Everyone should know that. Huh? Um, but I just like this particular paragraph on it. And it's, Throughout much of the 1980s, King struggled with drug and alcohol abuse. In discussing this time, he admitted that, There's one novel, Cujo, that I barely remember writing at all. I don't say that with pride or shame, only with a vague sense of sorrow and loss. I like that book. I wish I could remember enjoying the good parts as I put them down on the page. Here's the thing. Anybody who has read the Tommyknockers knows that Stephen King has used drugs I just, and copious amounts. It was yeah. too good. Also, I'll mention, in this room, there is a, a wall that is a blackboard. Yes! That is all blackboard. He was paint. inspired. Yeah, he did it right after he saw the movie. It hasn't been here the entire time that we've been doing this. Excuse yes. me. No, it has. Wow, you are so drunk all so, the time. Apparently, uh, <laughs> Michael is the character that uh, that was based on. You were the guy who vacated the apartment. Before hey, Dean, you want to see my weenie? <laughs> that was a deep cut. Well done, <laughs> Kenny. 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 Well, uh, I think we fucked this to death, right? No, it's still. It'll come back later. It'll okay. It'll Nothing ever dies. It shines on. Yeah, yes. yeah. We we yes. go on. Yeah. It's in a box in my head. Horse ghost. What are you? You can't cross. Well, wait. Uh, we King middle... actually does cross blend his own stuff with are we Star in the Wars. Middle of a so fade wait out long. right now. Is this no. the first fade out that we're ever gonna have? If I only. think this has to be the first. But no, uh, for those of you who know, uh, I have two people in here who have not gotten to this level of the tower yet. Uh, yes, there is Star Wars stuff referenced in the Dark Tower series. Well, considering that he references Kubrick's Shining uh -huh. in Book Two. And I think he does talk about Star Wars. I think Eddie Dean does. That's not Yes. Wars. Oh, there are so, literal connective tissues. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. I'm there excited. Are, I'll, I'll say it to this way. This is not a spoiler that's going to ruin anything for you. At one point, there are characters that use lightsabers. <laughs> oh. 
Okay. Good luck. <laughs> what the shit? <laughs> it's marvelous when it happens. You will not scoff at it. I did not. I loved it to death. So there you are. So, uh, well, I think... already faded out. My dear friends... <laughs> you, I mean. <laughs> is fade. So it's custom faded. Uh, we love you all. Thank you for listening. We hope that you come back and you work it because it's worth it. That's the 12 step thing, right? That's for those of you who have been. Oh, both of you are alcoholics, but you're not anonymous. So, uh, for the Disinformed Podcast, I'm Shane. I'm a panic attack. <laughs> Thank you for coming, kids. Don't worry, King will clean.